Good morning. All right. So apparently there's a football game today. And uh, you guys are here. And uh, I only see some of the colors. So uh, no, no brawling, whichever team you're for. Um, as always with the Super Bowl, I'm waiting for it to end for the basketball game. So that's what I'll be looking forward to. Uh, we are continuing uh, looking at, in, in the book of Philippians, looking at joy. And uh, if it's true that joy is not based on our circumstance, right? The, the condition we find ourselves in, if, if joy is based instead on God and his character, his personality, what he has done, who he is, what he promises to do, then our joy would be the same whether we have the things we need or want or maybe uh, the things that we don't have. So is it possible then to have joy when things aren't going well? We looked last week uh, at the Apostle Paul, sp specifically at his uh, prison epistles, right? The whole thing was that he wrote these letters to churches while he was in jail. And in the midst of that, we know that uh, he's not complaining, he's not uh, upset about the uh, being in jail, being chained to a guard, uh, the things that he doesn't have, not being able to free, free to go where he wants. We got, get a sense that Paul found joy not because of his circumstances, but in spite of them. He found joy in the Lord. And it's possible that you could have joy despite the challenges that you face. Now, I say that understanding that my challenges might look really mild, mediocre, not a big deal compared to what you might be facing, right? That when you think about the things that go on in people's lives, there's probably people in the room that are really facing some challenges. And yet, Paul did, and the apostles did, if you look at what they faced, and they went to it with, with joy in the Lord, right? Knowing that their life was on the line, that, that, that things were way more serious than, than some of us might be dealing with. In, in fact, James, the... Uh, in his letter, this is James 1, he said, count it all joy, right? So, so count everything joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He, he's like, look, don't just count it joy when good things happen. Count it joy when you face trials. Count it joy when things are hard. 
Count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness, meaning when things are hard, stick with it. Keep going. Keep on. Steadfastness is necessary, James says, to complete you. It says that you may be perfect. Now, that's not a word we use lightly. The, the Greek word for, for, that's translated perfect here is tilioi. It, it's also translated in different translations and in other places as fulfilled, complete, or mature. Now, now that's really helpful. There's a sense that the suffering is required, right? That as we are steadfast in that suffering and those trials, that's required in order to grow us in our faith. Any athlete knows that that's true. Unless you push yourself, you don't progress, right? You can't lift more weight unless you try to lift more weight. You can't run further and faster unless you push yourself when you think that you're at the limit of your speed or endurance, right? That's how you get better and stronger and faster. If we are to grow in our faith, then our faith has to be put to the test, right? You have to, to grow it. You have to exercise it. And so those trials and suffering, they bring about growth. So suffering and trials grow our faithfulness. So there's a purpose to it, right? The purpose to the trials is to grow us. And even with that in mind, it's hard to see, right? It's, it's like, really, God, I have to go through this still or again? And what possible reasons could there be suffering then? And there's a couple in chapter 1 of Philippians. The first two are in verses 12 through 14. So I just want to read those and then uh, look at those. Starting in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what happened to Paul, right? He's, he's imprisoned. And... It's, it's kind of different than prison might be today, right? They, it was kind of like this house arrest. He had a place to stay, but he literally was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And you kind of get this, this sense from Paul that this challenge, as challenging as it might seem, maybe it was an opportunity as well. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul actually talked about, you know what, if you think that's bad, let me tell you what real suffering and challenges are. He said that he suffered far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death, five times at the hand of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one, right? So you didn't kill him. 
uh, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of his anxiety for the churches. He goes, look, if you've had things really bad, let me tell you what's happened to me. And even in spite of all that, you get this sense that Paul, he's not mad about it, right? Paul is like, look, I have endured, but for a reason. It's been worth it. If enduring suffering and challenges matures us and grows us, then you understand why Paul is the Apostle Paul that we read about in Acts and we read his letters, who is so significant in in helping spread the gospel and starting churches. So what are those those, uh, purposes in suffering we read in those verses? There's the, the two. First of all, Uh, The purpose of suffering, number one, is to advance the gospel. That Christians suffer so that the gospel can be spread. That's what he said. He goes, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Even though I'm imprisoned, even though I'm, I'm stuck here, the gospel is being spread. Paul made sure that anybody that was chained to him was going to hear about Jesus. Right? Hey, you know why I'm here? You know why you're chained to me? Because I keep talking about Jesus. You can probably hear it. How he endured his imprisonment demonstrated to those around him the power of the Lord in the life of a believer. How you endure challenges will send a clear message to those around you. And you may not even know that they notice how you're dealing with with what you're dealing with, but people do, right? You may not know that they'll know what's going on in your life. Things might be going on. You're like, well, nobody even knows, but people will, people will notice and how you handle it matters. Paul wrote uh, in his second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter four, verse eight, he said, we are afflicted in every way, right? Again, talking about challenges and struggles. He says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies, right? So all of these things, these challenges, all of these are for a reason that the life of Jesus would be manifest It means people will notice it. It will be evident. What goes on in our lives, the challenges as we trust God will be obvious to people around us. Now, it'll be obvious because uh, we're letting them know. And so the gospel will be advanced. One thing that we can be sure of in life is that life will happen, right? And life is the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all of it. You will have victories and setbacks. 
And how you respond to those will be a witness to those around you. The witness of Christians living out their faith in the good times and the bad times. With joy. Right? Having joy when things are good is easy. Having joy, expressing joy when things are hard, that's really important. Right? If, if God is real in your life, then you're going to express joy even when things aren't going well. This goes back to the Great Commission, making disciples. And that was the second thing that Paul said. He said, uh, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Right? The, the purpose of our suffering, number two, is to encourage others to endure. Right? That when, when people see others suffering and being challenged, they then are emboldened. Christians who knew Paul's situation were emboldened by Paul's enduring that situation. They're like, look, if Paul can deal with that, if he can suffer that, then what we're going through isn't near as bad. We can endure. It's why one of our heart attitudes is to live an open life before other our brothers and sisters, right? If they're going to see Look, here's what I'm enduring. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I'm trusting God for. Then others around us are emboldened. They're encouraged. If we don't tell people, they're missing out on that. You can imagine the conversations that Christians might have had. Do you know what Paul is dealing with? Do you know how long he's been in prison? Do you know he's got a chain attached to him all the time? And if, if Paul could do that, what can we do for the gospel? Jesus sought to encourage his disciples prior to his arrest, knowing what was coming, right? The crucifixion and, and death. He told them this. This is in John sixteen thirty three. He said, I have said these things to you that you may, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Look, tribulation is coming, right? Life happens, difficulty happens, things will be hard, but take heart. Jesus, knowing the cross was coming, encouraged the disciples to have peace when their own persecution comes. The second reason for suffering is found in verses 18 through 30, right? So let me read those and we'll, we'll see. This one's a little less precise, but you'll see it. Starting in verse 8, well, the second half of verse 18, 18b, he says, uh, yes, I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will be uh, full with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. He says, everything's going to turn out for my deliverance, whether I live or I die. Same outcome, he says, for my deliverance. Verse 21, for to me to live is, for me, for to me to live is Christ and, 
and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on a, for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Right? I'm going to remain with you for your benefit, he says. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your manner in life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponent. That is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but for your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Right? The, that conflict is the, the furthering the gospel. All right. So what are the two things? First of all, that the purpose of suffering is to give us a proper perspective. We need to understand things about life in order to have a proper perspective. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? That's an understanding of the right perspective about life and about eternity. Paul's perspective on priorities, I think it seems a little different than most people. Right? If he died, he'd be with Jesus. He's like, look, this is better for me, but I'm willing to stay and keep working for you. This is a perspective on eternity. Romans 8.18, Paul wrote, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. It's like, look, I understand that what's going on isn't pleasant. It's not like when people are suffering, they're like, woohoo, more suffering. Let's get this. No, it's, it's, this is suffering and it's not fun, but I understand there's a purpose and what comes next is better, right? That's the way to look at it. I like to, to think of this life like a pencil, that sounds strange, but, but not a mechanical pencil, like a wooden pencil, a number two Ticonderoga pencil, okay? Uh, the tip is, is sharp, so you can do your work. We tend to focus just on the tip, and that's where we, our priorities are. When life gets rough, we need to continually sharpen the end. And this might be like quiet time with God, Bible study, Maybe Bible memorization, time with the church, worship, retreat, things like that, right? This is, this is good stuff when things get hard. And with most pencils, when they get dull and they get sharpened, eventually they get whittled down to that last half inch and you're trying to hold on to it. And, and, and that's what happens with life. 
But the analogy of our lives is that that the life that we're living right now is just the sharpened end. It's just that tip. Eternity is the entirety of the pencil. But instead of the pencil being the 7.8 inches long, you would see a pencil stretched out. You guys are picturing the pencil now, aren't you? The pencil is stretched out so long that you can't see the eraser. See, people are living at the sharpened end and they don't see the entirety of eternity. So anytime the tip of the lead breaks, it's a shock. And they just envision getting ground down to that end when life ends. Not understanding that we were made for eternity. And that we should be living life and the tip now, not to just kind of get by until we're at the nub. But that we are living that tip for eternity. You can see that challenge or obstacles for what they are. An opportunity to get sharp. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For the light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Right? When those challenges happen, the whole purpose is to sharpen you for a reason. So what's the reason? Right? If we have a proper perspective, when, when hard things happen, and our perspective is it's not just to get through it, I just got to survive, right? Look, I, I've been there. When really hard things are going on, it's really hard in the moment to go, I'm so glad this is happening because God is going to use this. It's hard to do that. Instead, it's focusing enough just to get through, right? And we're talking about really tough things, right? Maybe the, the, the death or illness of a loved one, or maybe your own illness, or, or some other challenge, whether it's relationship or finance or something that's that's really hard to endure and and in the midst of that challenge it's hard to go i'm so glad this is happening because i'm going to be stronger for this no it, it's i i just got to get through this i'm hoping that there's a light at the end of the tunnel but i'm but i'm telling you that, that god's word is clear it's happening for a reason that you will grow. You will be sharpened for a purpose. And you might have heard me say this before. But the things that have gone into your life. That have grown you into the person you are today. Are so that you are uniquely equipped to be you. You are uniquely equipped for the place that God has you. That you can represent him in your place of work and in your home, in your school, your neighborhood. You are equipped for a purpose. And that you can use those things to better share the gospel for the Great Commission. 
That's why you are what you are. And, and so even though in the middle of those things and you're like, man, I can't believe this happens to me. Again, can't believe I have to endure this. But God's like, look, I've got you. I am equipping you, making you for a reason. And when you understand the entirety of eternity, those things will seem less serious. Number four, the purpose of suffering that that Paul mentioned there uh, to motivate us to align the practice of our faith with the theology of our faith, faith, right? So the idea is that, that often there is a, this is what I believe about God, but there's a disconnect between the theology, the doctrine of what we ought to do, my understanding of who God is, and then the praxis, what I actually do with what I believe. There's a, a disconnect. And, and the goal would be, it's not just, the head knowledge. You need to learn something about God, right? We get that. I don't just need to learn something about God. In fact, the, the universities are filled with people that know plenty of things about God. In fact, scripture says the demons believe and they shudder, right? They know things about God. That's not enough. There is a point at which you have to put into practice what you know about God. And so when we suffer, that, that those align those things together, right? That's why Paul said, verse 27, he said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? That, that the, the things that the church in Philippi would have to endure, that those things would line up. There would be a, a sense of worthiness, not because they were, they hadn't earned salvation. They hadn't all of a sudden done things right that, that Paul goes, good, you're, you're finally worthy now. Let's get you your diplomas. You get to go to heaven. That's not it, right? He calls them brothers from the start. He's thanking God from them from the start. He's just encouraging them that then the things that they do would line up with what they know they're supposed to do. This is important. I've been asked this before. uh, When things are are hard for someone and they're like, look, pastor, I'm, I'm really struggling. And the question that often comes after that is, do you think God is punishing me? That's tough, right? I don't have a lot of answers about that. Right? What do you mean? Is God punishing you? So I've learned how to answer it. Hopefully it, it satisfies people. But, but my answer tends to be the same. Well, first of all, I don't think it's as simple as that. But is there some reason you think you should be punished? Right? Is there an area of sin in your life that you need to take before God and repent? Is there a relationship that, that you know is at odds that you need to reconcile? 
Is there there's some action that you're taking currently or in the past that you've not made right? Right? If that's the case, regardless of today and what you're dealing with, you need to make that right. That's called conviction. So typically the reason someone says, you think God is punishing me is because there's some area in their life where they're under conviction. And it may or may not have anything to do with those current circumstances. You see, I don't think it's so simple as here's what you're dealing with. God's punishing you for that. Right? That all of these things are working together to grow you for a reason. And so when you're under conviction, whether you are in good health or poor, whether someone you care about is struggling or not, if you're under conviction, you need to acknowledge it. Repent and trust God. That's the key. See, what we do should line up with what we believe, right? What we do, how we act should line up. You will do greater harm to the church and to the cause of Christ and the reputation of God. When you say, here's what I believe, and then you act in a way that is counter to that. And there's a reason why there's, there's certainly plenty of people that when they think of Christians, think hypocrites. Now, I don't think that. I probably know more Christians than those people. And I don't think of Christians and go, man, a bunch of hypocrites. But let me be honest, I'm a hypocrite. Because there are definitely times when I knew what I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. And there were times when I knew I shouldn't have done it, man, and I did it anyway. And my goal would always be to not do those things and to do what I'm supposed to do. And then if when I mess up to make it right. So my goal would always be to not sin when I shouldn't. But look, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace. And so I have a responsibility then to make those situations right. So I should continually be growing so that those happen less tomorrow than they did today and even more so than yesterday. Too many people talk about or at least claim Christianity, right? They talk about what they believe and when it comes down to it, what they do, how they conduct themselves doesn't line up with what they say. And and when persecution comes, when suffering or challenges come, the Bible says, and it, it says that it will, it's guaranteed then it won't do any good to do lip service. Right? You can't just say, well, it's kind of what I believe. You you actually have to believe it. When things are hard, you got to believe it. That's why Psalm 119, 71, it says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Right? It's a good thing When things are hard, so I learn things about God. That's when I learn to rely on him. Remember going to the beach when I was, uh, I was little. 
and was with my dad. And I was so excited, but I was little. And we went out into the waves, and, and in my mind, of course, they were huge, but I bet they, were, they weren't so big. I just remember the, the wave coming in and me getting just knocked down and tossed around. And, I'm, and my thought was, that's it, I'm done, I'm going to die, right? Because I don't know anything about the waves. And then, and then the whole time I felt my dad had me. Uh, how important that is. It was a good thing. I learned something, right? But what I learned most wasn't about the waves. It was that I could trust my dad, that he wasn't going to let me drown. You see, when the bad things happen, the challenges happen, you learn something. And you need to trust that God has a plan. Since the goal is to grow, it's to act like Jesus. Not just act like Jesus, but to be like Jesus. That's what Christ-likeness is, right? It's not a, a pretense. It's not a character you play. It's who you are, who you become. Let me share uh, some next steps with you today. First of all, uh, my next step today is to thank God for the challenge or challenges that I'm facing today. It, like I said, it might be hard. There might be something you're enduring right now that's tough. And I, I would just encourage you to take a minute. God, I don't know how you're going to use this, but I trust you that you will. And I'll just add, this is why God gives us the church. This is why we're surrounded by, with brothers and sisters. That when you're enduring something and you can share that with someone... You know how often I shared that, shared a challenge with someone and they're like, been there. Here's what God did for me. Here's, here's what God can do for you in the midst of that. See, God gives the local church for that reason, among others, but that's important. And then second, uh, next step is to reflect on how God used trials and sufferings in my past. To grow my faith. See, it's important that, that we thank God for what's going on now and then we reflect, right? If we don't reflect on what God has done, that when we face the next thing, it's that much harder to deal with. God uses those. I, I've, I know I often look back at things that have gone on in my life and I am better equipped now to deal with life because of what happened in the past. Uh, so I would encourage you with that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 